0: Hey, this is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson, and today we're going for another walk. It's Tuesday, the day I like to release my episodes, and I had one all lined up for today. I had an interview at 10 this morning that I was going to get all polished and published by about two or three, but before nine, I got an email. The uh, person I was going to talk to wasn't feeling well and didn't want to show up. fatigued and not well so we rescheduled and so then I had this idea what if like I got some really nice feedback on the podcast I did two weeks ago where I just walked in the woods and talked about thoughts and books I was reading and some of the things I was seeing and hearing in in the backwoods here and that's me just Closing the gate, separating the, the, the front of the property from the back. And now I'm crunching some leaves under a dogwood here that is losing its leaves. And so my idea was, well, people kind of liked sort of just uh, hanging out. And there's this thing I, I've, been, I've been doing and wanting to do more of. Um, so, you know, we have a decent sized property here. And I just finished writing an article on uh, global hunger issues and really struck by, you know, the the conflict in the Ukraine, really undermining the, the bread basket, the, the wheat basket of much of the world, especially, uh, you know, very food insecure people in, in countries all over the world. And... Thinking about the supply chain issues caused by COVID-19 and the and the response to COVID-19, and also thinking about uh, how wheat is endangered in a lot of places because of climate change. And sort of the, you know, if you if you watched where wheat fields are are migrating to, you know, on a year by year basis, if you looked at the time lapse, they're like running north in Africa because it's getting too hot in Southern Africa to even grow this stuff. So with all that uh, Mia my wife uh, has been interested in you know really pushing the sustainability of, of our of our property and you know we grow the vegetables and basil and cherry tomatoes and we do a lot of root stuff uh, and we have a, a, a pecan tree that you know gives us food every couple of years and we got the berries and a lot a lot of the, the food that we end up Preserving kind of depends on electricity. So you know, blueberries in the freezer, um, sunchoke's in the fridge. Thinking like, if we if we lived here without any sort of uh, you know infrastructure, how would we live? How would we survive? And I have this book. Um, I'm not recalling the author at this moment, but uh, you could you could look it up. The book is called Tree Crops. And it was written, I believe, in the 1950s. The the edition I have, the old hardcover, was from the 1950s. It might have been um, earlier than that, and this was a a reissue or a reprint or another another printing. Um, But it argued that this is a, a precursor to what's become known as permaculture, this idea that we can have agriculture that doesn't completely deplete the land. Like, if you think about you know, just the way I grow crops in my garden here, Uh, I got some soil, put some seeds in the ground, get some, um, you know, nutrition, some fertility out of it. And now, well, that soil is depleted. So I have to go put something back in. So I can collect all the compost for my garden and then put it into a compost pile. And then like, you know, depending on the method I use, a month to three years later, there's some fertility to go back into the ground. But like, it doesn't add up it does from a, uh, from a nutrient perspective. Just that we look at the, the carbon cycle or the nitrogen cycle because we have toilets with indoor plumbing. And a lot of the nutrients that I get out of my garden end up going to uh, our septic system. All right? and, and we're really not set up to re- return all those nutrients to the garden. Um, you know, it's possible to do. There's a book... Um, called the, uh, Joe Jenkins wrote it, I think must've been 20 or 30 years ago now called the humanure manual, which was about taking human fecal waste and treating it in such a way that after 18 months, it's basically garden soil, you know, so, uh, not for the faint of heart and not for those who are not into, you know, sort of details and, and, um, you know, th- thermometers and, and really making sure everything's safe. Um, but just, just like annual gardening where you constantly have to grow things from, from, from seed from the ground up on bare soil is not sustainable right? because it goes against nature. So if we leave, if I left my garden alone you know, within 10 years, there would be trees growing in it. That's what nature wants. It wants, it it sees bare soil, it looks at the bare soil and goes, oh, that's a wound, let's scab it over. So it's going to scab it over with, you know, first these little little weeds that come up that provide a little bit of shade for the bigger weeds, which tend to be brambles with berries, all right, brambles grow well there because they can protect the space. There's a lot of sun there, so everything wants to, you know, Greedy about the sun, but this this kind of protects the space, um, keeps animals and people out because no one wants to like run through brambles, and the berries are really good. Uh, this is something I learned in Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. The berries are very useful because then, as the brambles give way to larger bushes and um, early succession trees, the birds will eat the berries and carry those plants up to, you know, to to the next clearing. So then we get the small trees and then, you know, the here, the the pines and the cedars will come up sweet gums, uh, willow oaks from the willow oak tree in our front yard. And basically if I do nothing um, it's going to turn into a forest. So I have to like fight against nature to have an annual garden. Right. I have to bare the soil, create a fresh wound, and then I've got to put all this fertility into the soil so I can buy bags of it from the local, uh, you know, feed store or or garden center or, or get them trucked in from somewhere from a from a composting center. But, you know, this is this all represents like if I have like half an acre under cultivation, I'm probably using 30 to 40 acres worth of fertility whether it's directly from green manure or if I were to use, you know, animal-based manures, those animals graze on land. So I'm actually, you know, wasting a lot of land by having my annual garden. And I'm, I'm not saying not to do it. It's fun. It's relaxing. I can grow, you know, high quality stuff that I know doesn't have pesticides and, and non-organic fertilizers, and it's fresh, and, and there's a much lower carbon footprint, although the carbon footprint of all the amenities and the amendments that I bring to it could be pretty high, especially, you know, along with having to till and mow and getting gasoline. So, like, you know, the stuff kind of adds up. Anyway, what tree crops, remember tree crops, the book I was talking about? What it is saying is that... Like basically the forest is the most abundant system in nature. And right here with this, this sort of temperate forest, you know, there's no... There's, I don't come out here and like rake and plant and, and, and weed and I don't do anything. And the forest is just doing great. It produces, you know, a greater diversity of, of fauna and flora and, and uh, fungi and a much greater biomass... From from its soil than I could ever get out of a garden, and it does it much more efficiently. And in fact, just the the, the fall, the tree fall um, and branches and leaves provides enough organic material that if I were to sort of collect it and shred it, that would take care of everything in my garden. But tree crops guy says, like, if you want to get efficient calories, get them from trees. And trees will provide, you know, fruit and base and nuts. Those are basically what you what you can get from trees. Now around here we have our pecan. Uh, we have pawpaw, which unfortunately here grows only in the shade, and I've never seen a single pawpaw fruit. Um, we've got hickory. There are a lot of black walnuts. Um, but they're very hard to, uh, to crack unless you're doing something commercially, and they're not really the same as the walnuts that you'd go and get from the store for baking. These are a kind of different sort of species. But what we have in abundance, I mentioned the willow oak in our front yard, is we have a lot of oaks, and oaks produce an awful lot of acorns. And acorns, of course, are not food for humans, they're food for squirrels, right? Well, except, according to tree crops, um, when it was written, he estimates that humans have ingested more calories from acorns over our history than from wheat. That actually, acorn and acorn flour in particular has been a staple throughout the Old and New Worlds. And the reason you might doubt that is if you've ever taken the time to crack open an acorn and taste it, it tastes awful. It's extremely bitter, harsh, ugh, I, I did, I tasted it, it was, it was gross, it wasn't the sort of thing that you go like, ooh, this is, this is going to be delicious, but then of course, like I always wonder, like who invented, like eating chocolate, like you ever taste a cacao nib or a bean, like that shit's bitter, or who, whoever thought of like, let's make coffee, <laughs> like you taste a coffee bean, you're not like, ooh, this is going to be a delicacy, we just got to, you know, brew it and you know crush it and brew it and and add, you know, latte and foam and, and honey or sugar or whatever. <laughs> like, you know. So so we know there's things that aren't that great coming right out of the ground that we can we can turn into pretty palatable food. So we got the idea, like what if we tried to get a lot of our calories from acorns? Because the other nice thing about acorns is nobody wants them, right? Like when, when oak trees, and, I, and this is true of pecans as well, when they, when they fruit, when they, when they produce um, seeds, in this case the nuts, either acorns or, or pecan nuts, all the trees apparently like do this in, uh, in harmony. Like they'll just overload the woods here with acorns, all the same, or or there won't be any acorns some years. And the thought is that that helps them survive, because if you had this predictable amount of acorns every single year, then the squirrels could just adjust their population to eat up every single last one of them, and there would be no new trees, and after a few centuries, there'd be no no more uh, oak species. But instead, there are years where there's famine, and the squirrel population diminishes, and then the oaks all get together and go, okay, now, And then they just all release just tons of acorns and way more than all the squirrels that exist could possibly get. So they're all over the ground. You know, know, I walk in the woods and I hear a helicopter overhead and the rotors are are spinning furiously. It's not too high above me. And I know that like that's going to shake a bunch of acorns out of the tree. So I cover my bald head so I don't get uh, clunked on the noggin by some falling acorns. But they're just all over the ground under under the various kinds of oak trees. And, you know, people don't want them. And and people generally don't want, you know, hundreds of tiny little oak seedlings growing all over their property. Um, And, you know, like an oak seedling that's about like nine inches tall is hell to pull out of the ground. You think like, oh, that would just come up, whoop, nope. Like, you might even have to dig. You you wouldn't even be able to, with with two gloved hands, wrench it from the soil because of its taproot. So we thought, what if we try to make uh, acorn flour? And this is, you know, this is a well-known thing. And like, you know, native communities in, in where, where I live in North Carolina have been doing this for a long time. As I said, acorn has been a staple food around the world. So it wasn't that hard to go online and find lots and lots of instructions about how to make acorn flour. So the, the first thing we did was we went to our neighbor Jim's house because he has bur oaks. B-U-R-R, I believe, is the spelling. I've never read it. We've just talked about it. Uh, bur oak basically looks like, a has acorns that look like they have these fuzzy hats on top. They're bigger, a lot bigger than sort of standard acorns, which is nice because the same effort that goes into cracking them produces a much bigger nut. It's sort of the size of Uh, you know, a walnut or uh, a small chestnut, rather than like the teeny little peanut-sized acorn you might get uh, from a red oak. So we went and collected. We spent about half an hour filling a basket. It was a big basket, and it didn't take us very long to fill it, and we we had to like agree to stop. It's almost like, you know, I remember this one time, the first time I went to a pick-your-own-blueberries place, and it was sort of out of season. I was there as part of a permaculture design course to look at the farm and to give ideas. But they did have this, you know, I guess orchard, I don't know if that's the right word, of of like maybe four or five hundred different varieties of blueberries. And it was, you know, end of July. So they were all like bursting with fruit. And I love blueberries. And I ate myself sick. Like I could not stop. It's like, oh, free more free blueberries, even though like you are crazy. Why are you doing this? But it was a kind of that kind of feeling of just wild abundance of these these burr acorns. And this is before I'd even like tried to do anything with them. It's just like, oh, like all this free food, got to collect it, got to save it. I felt very squirrel-like myself. Right, so we brought home this, this large basket. And man, let's, let's say if we dumped it for, for comparison's sake, if I dumped it out, it would have filled like a five-gallon bucket plus, maybe another quarter or a third another of another five-gallon bucket. So that's about how much. And we could have collected 10 times that amount from just that tr- one tree. And then there were about 20 other trees that he'd planted along the, the his driveway on both sides about 40 years ago. So, you know, had we wanted, we could have had, you know... I don't know, a hundred times what we what we took home. But we still haven't gone through that basket. So what, what I was, anyway, what I was going to do for this podcast, I was going to set up a camera and my microphone, and I was going to sit down and invite you to sit down with me. And like you find a chore that, you know, is kind of lonely to do by yourself, but would be fun in a group. And I think about, you know, all the indigenous cultures where, you know, they the bring in the harvest and it's like a lot of hard work that goes into preparing the harvest for, for the winter. But like all the women do it together and they're singing and it's kind of a fun social event as opposed to a, a boring, do-it-yourself, by-yourself, alone task that you're going to kind of resent because everybody else is having more fun than you are. And so I was going to Take our our nutcracker and a bunch of these uh, acorns and basically just sit there and crack them and have a chat. And so invite you to, you know, I don't know whether it's, you know, knitting or taxes or spreadsheets or uh, darning socks or, you know, organizing your underwear drawer. I don't know. I'm not going to watch. So, you know, (laughs) this is this is a one way video. You see me, I don't see you. And we were just going to sit and, and have a chat. And what happened was, so I had my, I have two cameras that I can use for this sort of thing. I have a Sony ZV-1 that has become my webcam. So it's kind of hooked into the computer in, in some pretty significant ways. So I had to unhook it from its power source. I had to unhook it from an HDMI cable. I had to Take it off the the tripod stand that's behind my desk. All right, so so that was you know So so I'm going to go do all that. And by the way, today this morning I had uh, I did teaching you on Zoom using that camera, and I'm going to do it again tonight at eight. So whatever this was, it was going to be temporary. I also have a Canon SL two that I had I had been using, and it's. uh, it's better in in some ways than the Sony, because you can set that the Sony, I have to, uh, fiddle with the zoom every single time I turn it on. And with the Canon, I have a, you know, it's a manual zoom, so I can just sort of set it and where, wherever it went to sleep, it wakes up the, the same way. Um, and so I, t- I, first the ZV-1, I couldn't get it to talk to my laptop. Um, and I spent about an hour trying to figure out what to do, and I was like online downloading software and drivers and, and, and firmware updates and nothing was working. And so when stuff like this happens, I tend to get very unsettled. <laughs> right like when technology doesn't work, I can just feel it in my body that I'm, I'm just sort of anxious and I just want to like get it fixed and I'm willing and I'm willing to do unwise things like neglect actual important work just to fix this thing because it feels it feels so incomplete. It's like, you know, a musician who hears shaving a haircut and there's no two bits. Like, dun-da-da-da-da. Da, da, da. Like, that's how I feel when I haven't sort of succeeded in completing some sort of technical task. So I ended up pouring a lot of, like I, All right, so I gave up on that, but then I went and got the SL2 and... It also is not talking to my laptop. Now, I haven't used it either with my laptop in a really long time. So there's probably some settings I just can't remember. But like when I'm getting more and more unsettled, (laughs) I remember things even worse. It's like I just keep like doing more of the same. So trying to find new drivers and more firmware updates. And, you know, maybe it's the cable. Maybe I need to find a different cable. And, you know, goodness, all of that. And long story longish, neither one ended up working. And so I, I finally, my family, uh, came back from early voting and invited me to sit down for, for a meal with them and then, and then encouraged me to go into the woods and just stop. And so I was just sort of lying, uh, lying down, resting there and complaining to my wife about all my technological problems and she, she offered, well, why don't you just do an audio? Why do you have to bother, bar, bother with video? And the answer, of course, is she's right. <laughs> like, actually, you know, it's very unusual. I post these podcasts when I do a, uh, an interview. Um, and, there's vi- and there's video. I, unless the guest asks me not to, I typically post it on YouTube. But I get, like, thousands of audio downloads. And sometimes, like, 20 or 30... Uh, YouTube views. So like really video like is really not worth the effort because it takes a lot more time and energy and editing to do the video. And then I, I um, get the, uh, audio transcribed and turn it into subtitles because YouTube says they like subtitles. And really when you look at the cost benefit, there is none. I think I'm just, you know, I had this one, um, one video that went viral, somehow it made it onto some sort of YouTube-recommended page. Uh, it's the interview with Dr. Stephen Porges, the uh, originator of the polyvagal theory. And that's, like, coming up on 200,000 views. And I'm like, ooh, 200,000 views. Like, you know, could make some serious money here. It could really, uh, you know, get a lot of people, teach a lot of stuff. And like most of my videos like you know 37 views, 59 views, so it really isn't realistic to expect that you know me sitting and shelling acorns is going to you know suddenly become a, an internet phenomenon, although you could pr- I could probably have said that about lots of things that did become internet phenomena so you know I, I'm not exactly a, a prescient judge of what Will be popular on YouTube. But the point is, there's really no reason for me to not just do audio. So I say, okay, so I'll settle for audio. And I started thinking about that word, like, because I'm already unsettled, but now I'm going to settle. And settling, like, nobody wants to settle. Right, because that means like giving up, compromising, accepting something less than than I want, be, you know, being resigned. But settle also means to like relax. I was unsettled and I became settled. And when people are uh, nomadic or ungrounded and they settle, like that's a good thing. So. I really kind of been playing around with this idea of like settling and with the acorns so so what we've done we've we've processed about mm, a little over half of the acorns and so basically the the, you know had i had the video you'd have seen me taking them and um this levered uh nutcracker you know it's not just the like the little one from the, the 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 ballet it's a you know a pretty pretty heavy duty iron machine with uh, with a lot of leverage, so cracking them open, then peeling the nuts out, observing, checking. They mostly break in two, so looking inside to see if there's any discoloration, throwing those out, and then any of the you know the pure looking ones go into uh, a cooking pot, and then what we've been doing is is boiling them and then leaching the water off a couple of times, either boiling them each time or just letting them sit in the water, which leaches out some of the tannins that that cause the bitterness. And the more you do that, the less bitter they get, but also you start losing some of the other nutrients. And according to tree crops, acorns um, are are very high in both protein and fat. um, And of course, they're still mostly carbohydrates. So they're a very balanced Food source, so it really is something like you could you could regard as kind of a staple crop if, if you liked how it tasted and you knew what to do with it. So then after that, um, after they're boiled, uh, we take them and we put them in the dehydrator uh, in sort of you know chunks and dehydrate most of the liquid out of them, and then when they're pretty dry, put them in the blender, the Vitamix turn them into more or less um, like a chunky powder, then put that back in the dehydrator until it's really hard, and then put that back in the Vitamix until you have a fine flour. And the other day we made uh, basically like cornbread, and and the recipe was like a, a cup of cornmeal and a cup of wheat flour and instead i used like 3 quarters of a cup of each of those and a quarter cup replacing each of them so a half a cup total of the the acorn flour and and cooked it and it wasn't half bad it it was different but you know the, the more i ate of it the more it was like okay this is an acquired taste that's not that going to be that hard to acquire so we're like, oh, so we're kind of like settlers who come to a place and instead of saying we're going to rely on the Amazon, Whole Foods, Costco supply chain, which brings us, you know, cherries from, from Turkey and pineapples from Hawaii and dumplings from Taiwan and, and, and all that stuff, that what if we were settlers and we settled on this land and we tried to live off of it. so presumably, you know, we also, we've grown corn in years past. Uh, We didn't grow it this year because Mia was unwilling, for some reason, to sleep in the garden, which she did for many nights last year to uh, discourage the raccoons, who were quite the little assholes, I've got to say. What they would do is they would climb up our corn plants and the raccoons are heavier than the corn plant can sur- survive. So the corn plant would fall to the ground, basically dead. And they would like take a bite out of like one little thing of corn. Like, like they had no memory. Like, oh, this isn't good. We don't like it. But they would leave, you know, take the one bite, leave the broken uh, corn plant. You know, uh, it's just sitting, sitting there in the garden, all of them, basically like a, like, you know, terrorist attack. Just you know, just carnage and no food. And then they would shit on her driveway, <laughs> as if to say, "Here's here's a here's a here's a thanks, but no thanks for that lousy food you gave us." So, you know, Mia ended up with a little bivouac there, sleeping on a on an army cot in in the middle of the garden with a flashlight and you know, basically making loud noises whenever she heard them approach, wasn't willing to do that this year. So we didn't grow corn, but we could, uh, presumably if we, I don't know, had a dog who lived in the garden and didn't like raccoons, or we had sufficient ways of trapping them, or or systems that, uh, motion detection systems that involved, you know, bright lights or sounds or, or spraying water, but, you know, Somebody grows corn <laughs> not, not everyone ends up being defeated by raccoons and and there's a lot of corn growing here so presumably we could have like you know flour from acorns and cornmeal. Um, we don't really have enough room to grow of a lot of wheat um, and again, that's a, you know uh, an annual crop but like as, as settlers think like what what would it be like to actually settle here and live off of this land, live off of the acorns. So, as I said, we've done about half, a little more than half of the acorns that we collected on that one, you know, half hour jaunt. And by the time it's all been turned into flour, I would say it's about three pounds. So, you know, like those one of those five pound bags of flour, like a standard wheat flour bag, five pounds, this is like 60% of that. And that was a lot of work. Now, we could have, you know, if if we were going to do this seriously, we would get a better nutcracker. Or I've seen people using, like, rocks or bricks. So, you know, you can kind of do it a little bit quicker. And we'd need all the family members. We'd need me and Mia and the two kids all sort of working for hours. So the collecting is the easy part. But it's the processing that would take a while. And, you know... Like, if we were settlers, we would settle down together. And, like, you know, like this would be a family activity that we would all contribute to, to, you know, because it would be serious about getting getting through the winter. About, well, will we have enough? And it becomes, uh, you know, for, for people who, who as... Um, Daniel Quinn, the author of Ishmael, says people who sort of live in the hand of God, who aren't takers, who aren't trying to hoard, you know. So I think of myself as sort of a responsible prepper, not a survivalist, but, you know, I want to be prepared for things. We have hurricanes here, we have storms, we have a pretty iffy power grid and a pretty incompetent, um, you know... uh, electricity supplier in, in in Duke Energy and like I want to be able to make sure we can survive for a week a month um if something if something happens um but uh you know so we we could we could, we could certainly um increase our productivity but it still would be a huge commitment to, and you know, it would be time that I would be giving up doing other things. So in a sense, you know, would, would I be sort of, you know, settling for this as opposed to you know, living my best life which is um, basically funded, bas- basically subsidized by Costco and Whole Foods and Food Lion and Piggly Wiggly and the you know, all, all of the food systems that, you know, underpay its workers and are not sustainable and cause environmental damage and, and runoff and aquifer depletion. And like how much of the produce that I get every year comes from California, a state that has been in a, a case of a state of severe drought for more than a decade. And, you know if you're buying produce you're buying exported water and so you know so I get to have all this free time or all this discretionary time or all this time where I get to work or make podcasts um, because I'm I'm sort of cheating the system in a way and yet right under my feet is all this potential abundance, but it would require a different relationship with the land, a different relationship with time, a different relationship with priorities, a different relationship with how I value my time and my activities, right? Like sitting down, if you were to watch me sit down and just sh- shell acorns and throw them, pit the, the, um, the shells uh, and the, and the burr hats away and, and spend an hour and see me about fill a, uh, a two-quart pot, you, you know, you, you would be forgiven for arguing that's pretty unproductive, right? There's so many more important things I could be doing, or so many more lucrative things I could be doing, um, which is why, kind of why I wanted to get that video, so that we could, you know, honestly, to say, well, if I'm going to do this, at least let me get some additional value, let me multitask and, and turn it into content. Because <laughs> God forbid, I just sort of sit there and do nothing but shell acorns, you know, and there's there's so much else to be done in the world. But, uh, you know, that, that which brought me to this idea, like, okay, so doing all this and being out here now with no video and not showing you what I just described, I wanted to show you. So am I... Settling in the sense of being resigned, giving up on what I wanted and taking something less? Am I settling in terms of acceptance and wisdom? Am I settling down in terms of connection and calm and coming into contact with, with what in, for 99% of human history, would have been an essential Relationship with the land, to walk around and to know what will sustain me, and to know what I must do to be in relation with this land to help it sustain me. Do I take care of the forest by planting bur oaks like my neighbor did forty years ago? Right, I w- kind of wish we had a bunch of bur oaks on our land, but you know, if, if I if I plant them today, you know, my kids or grandkids might see them. If, if they're still living on this land. All right. So to, to be that settled, to think about the future, really makes me, makes me wonder how the word settle also got such a negative connotation. All right. So I wonder what I'm going to do right now. <laughs> I, uh, I do have a decent um, um, cell signal. I'm going to look up, I should have done this earlier, should. I don't like to use that word. Had I thought of it, I would have done it earlier. I'm going to look up the etymology of the word settle. And because my little, my fat fingers here can spell etymology on my iPhone 8, so I'm going to go to online. Middle English, settling, become set or fixed, stable or permanent, place in the seat, sink down, come down. Ooh, compare German "siedeln" to settle or to colonize. And it comes originally from settle, a seat, to sit. So settle and sit look like they're from the same root. Uh, 1400 reference to birds, to alight. Uh, 14th century, to sink down, to cave in. Um, by the 15th and 16th century, to become calm, but also knock dead or stunned. Uh, establish a permanent residence, by the 17th century, and well, and settle down to marry. <laughs> and the settle is also so. With this the, from this seat, there's a settee, which is when I was a kid, we didn't have couches or sofas, we had a settee, and nobody else I knew had a settee. <laughs> so uh, I've almost never hear that word anymore. That suddenly reminded me. But a settle is also uh, like a, 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 a seat or a chair. So how interesting how we have these two completely different strains of understanding of what it means to come down like we have the positive to to root yourself, to plant yourself ooh. And we also have to collapse and we also have to colonize to to cause another to. <laughs> you know, to, to I don't know, to, to colonize this, to, to take over land that isn't yours, um, that you don't, you're not in relationship with. And you're just going to take uh, at the expense of all the organisms who are already there, including the other human ones. So I guess I'm already a, a colonizer on this land. Right? I come here and I want my um, Thai basil <laughs> and I want my Japanese eggplant and I want, you know, and, and, and I and I come not me personally, but uh, sort of the you know the the white settlers came here, uh, and, and what we did has has invited all sorts of invasives. So we were you know our land here is overrun with um, with knotweed and our Russian olive and and all these other plants that uh, you know are sort of opportunistically thriving in in the scars that we've, we've created here. And when I'm so disconnected from place, then where do I get my self-esteem and where do I get my sustenance? It has to be from somewhere outside myself. And that can be very unsettling. All right. When I'm, when I have to rely on this technology that I didn't create, all right. where I have to, all right. Like if you're, if you're a, an indigenous person in your culture and all the artifacts of your life and the tools of your life are of your culture, you know how each of them was made. If you lose it, no big deal. You can make another one. All right, another toothbrush, another bow and arrow, another digging stick, another clay pot. All right, you're, you're not alienated from the means of production and from the objects of production. But me, my cameras don't work. I have a freak out because I don't know what to do. I got to go online to some subreddit and, and see if someone's had the same problem or go on YouTube and, and, and wade through. Hi, guys, and try to find someone who's, who's got a, an actual solution to the problem right? or, you know, some some sort of uh, stack exchange where people are talking in terms that I have no idea from a technical perspective what they're even saying. I'm alienated from this technology with which you know, I'm intimately connected and from which I largely make my living. And so that can be very unsettling. And when I can't have it, I have to settle for something less. So I'm settling for these amazing microphones. Uh, just, just to make sure it works, I've clipped two of them to my shirt and gone out here into the woods and I'm talking. And let's pause for a second so you can hear what I'm hearing. crickets and birds my own footfalls on the on the crunchy leaves so i think for me the lesson here is the blessing of coming down of settling whether it's literally sitting and resting or becoming a settler on my own land Stooping to pick up the lowest of the low foods, these acorns that are nothing but but silage and, and squirrel fodder, and saying there is there is for me here, there is nourishment on this land. There is a way of knowing and being known by this land, and it involves settling, settling down. It involves Settling for being not above everything else, not above nature, but part of it. So I wonder if there's a way in which these acorns and uh, I hope to, to produce another you know bunch of pounds of the flower uh, and have it throughout the winter if, if, if they have lessons for me, you know certainly the oak trees have lessons for me, lessons about letting go. Not letting when when it's time to let go of leaves, when it's time to let go of abundance. Uh, there is a giant oak here. It's just off across the border. You know, our woods borders our neighbor's woods, and so, you, can, you know, <laughs> there's a line on the map somewhere, but the woods don't know that they're owned by different people. Um, but there's a big oak that fell over. We have very rocky soil here. It's a huge tree, and... You know, it it fell maybe two months ago and over time, it's going to decay and all, you know, all the, the munch line of the forest is going to come and start partaking of, of all this incredible fertility. And in a decade, maybe there will it will all be really fresh, uh, rich soil into which all the acorns that have fallen may start to grow and it will become a nurse log in its in its death. So there's a lot that trees can teach us. Um, I've been doing Qigong, as as I may have mentioned, and I was looking for a Qigong standing meditation on YouTube, and I found one that was really beautiful that talked about doing a standing meditation and learning from trees. And one of the lessons that this um, YouTuber talked about is trees are humble. Trees give it up to the earth. They don't try to go up, they try to go down. And and being so rooted, humble into the earth is what allows them to grow so tall. So as I make corn cakes and, and acorn cakes and look for new recipes and biscuits and gravies and incorporate the bounty, the incredible generosity, the abundance of this land into my life, I hope I also can take in the lessons of acorns and oaks. Oh, and the other thing about acorns is that I've been thinking about lately. I'm reading a book. Uh, I think I mentioned it in the last podcast, Fate and Destiny by uh, Michael Mead, and I think I actually talked about this a couple weeks ago um, about this, the, the, uh, the acorn, the myth of the acorn, that each acorn, you know, the, one, the ones that are going to end up in my belly, um, may not be end up being expressed as their true selves, but but you know the oak tree uh, produces these acorns that will grow up to be oak trees in the right circumstances, and that's maybe one in a million, which is not necessarily an exaggeration in terms of the number of acorns that hit the ground and the numbers that end up turning into oak trees. You know, if every if every acorn turned into an oak tree, um, that wouldn't really be tenable for this planet. All right. So so the numbers have to be uh highly not in their favor. But you know you could say the same thing about uh human sperm. Like, you know, most of us didn't make it. You 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 and I one one in a several billion, I think. Hundred you know, hundred hundred million. Right? So we're we're special. Um and each of us, like each one of those acorns, um, you know has a purpose, has a blueprint. And maybe it's our job as we, uh, you know, come down, as we settle onto this planet of ours and become more, you know, attempt to become indigenous to the land, wherever it is, wherever we are, to get to know it, to know what it wants to grow, what wants to grow here and to know the things that grow here, what they want to grow into, and what they want to become, and who they want to be in relationship with. Other plants, animals, wind, rain, us. That that sort of thinking this hard about our food, and I do not think this hard about my food when I get it packaged in the supermarket, or even at the farmer's market. But I think hard about my food when I work hard about my food. And I think that's a valuable thing for me to be doing. And so I finished my walk. I'm back here, uh, back to the table where Mia set, she set up such a nice tablecloth for me. Said so the table was so disgusting if I was going to make a video, put a tablecloth on it, and it looks really pretty. And we set it up so that you wouldn't see the ugly shed in the background. You would just see me sitting under the pecan tree uh, with a basket of acorns and uh, and all the the equipment that I was going to use and it's what time is it now it's 615 so I can't see the Sun there's a little bit of clouds in the West but it's sort of beautiful October day here uh, I would say it's in the low 60s I'm wearing short sleeves and no hat on a bald head so I can feel the air and can start to see the beginning of the sunset on this, says the 25th of October. And just looking up, looking at the two big willow oaks, looking at the magnolias, at the pecan tree that's drooping so much you, you would you'd have, you couldn't even do limbo under some of its branches. It's so heavy with nuts this time of year. And looking out into the garden, which is largely an annual garden, as I've said, but also we're growing some herbs, some perennials, um, and some of the perennials are spreading like crazy. Like you can see what this what this land wants to become. And it is a place that has room for us. Yeah, we, we want to like, you know, put our mark on it and we want to have gardens and lawns and office buildings and roads and houses and, and all the things, but there's also there's plenty of room for us in nature. And I think learning how to derive nourishment from what there already is is a worthy thing to do. And it's a way to settle in the most positive sense of the word. So I want to thank you for spending this time with me. And I'm really enjoying this. So uh, again, I would love feedback if if this you know there's a little voice in my head that's saying, "Well, this is so self-indulgent. Just just talk at people like this and make shit up as you go along." And uh, <laughs> maybe that's real. Maybe maybe you'd like to tell me, "Yeah, I'm going to stop listening if you keep doing this. This is kind of a waste of time." Or you know maybe maybe there are conversations. Uh, in, that have been going on in my head that are that are worthy of of being shared. I don't know. Um, I'm aware of being so grateful for the opportunity to you know of the technologies of these uh, greater than system things that I can't understand or fix uh, and can barely drive. So grateful for the opportunity I have to to use them to to be in c- contact, in community, and communication with you. And I wish you a beautiful week. And I'll, uh, I'll let you know how the, uh, the Acorn uh, Calorie Project goes. So uh, be well, my friends. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, WillReidenauer.com. And, of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mauro, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Berenst, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonoski, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franz Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Banda Nachali, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Coppola, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Iza Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olikoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Peter W. Evans, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Lienan, Patty Martino, Mike and Donna Karts, Deanne Bishop, Bill elf Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarit Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganch,